So uh, we're sitting in the Zoom again in the strange little hut in the north of France. And fortunately, there's no log fire because it's still blowing a bit of a storm outside and the chimney's kind of fallen to bits. So um, we've got one tiny heater that Margot is hugging for dear life. And uh, we're sitting here with the Refugee Women's Centre team and with some of the team from Maison Sam as well, who we've spoken to today as well. Thanks very much for coming along and uh, it's your turn to introduce yourselves and tell us uh, who you are and just maybe a brief bit about how you came to be in, well, Azel with Women's Centre. Um, we can go around clockwise if you like, if you're up for starting. Through. Sure. Um, I'm Serena and I've been volunteering with Women's Centre since October, which is about three and a half months now. And I came to Calais about a year and a half ago, so the summer of 2018, and I volunteered with the Refugee Info Bus and Help Refugees. And I heard a bit about Women's Centre and I met some volunteers and I thought that was a charity I'd really like to come back and work for. And then a position came up in October and then I thought I'd take it and I came over. Um, I'm Alana, I came here nearly five months ago now and I came for two months, I'm still here. So <laughs> going strong. Hi, I'm Frances. I've been working with the Women's Centre since uh, mid-2016, so about three and a half years now. I first came at the time of the Liniere camp, and actually it was, I started with a different organisation with Utopia 56, and at that time became part of the structure of the Women's Centre, which was at the time an, an actual physical centre in the camp, and ever since then remained involved as it became an independent organisation and kind of has developed since. And I haven't spent all the time on the ground. I've spent back time back in the UK, but have have remained part of it. And I'm yeah here now as one of the coordinators. Smashing! Thanks, everybody. Are you are you all coordinators? I'm not a coordinator. Me either. Okay, no worries. Um, ah, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I just uh, the the word coordinator seems to be a good catch-all for lots of people that do everything, um, <laughs> and then everybody else does everything anyway. So it's an interesting uh, structure. So uh, feel free to just chip in any time. Um, would you like to tell the listeners about what the Women's Centre does? and what your kind of day-to-day -day activities are and what's the sort of purpose of the Women's Centre? So the Women's Centre basically tries to provide uh, individualised close support to women and family units based in different camps across northern France. That includes um, Dunkirk or Consant, Calais and also accommodation centres further afield, other places where people are currently living. The kind of basic principle of the Women's Centre is trying to create safe community-led spaces where women and their families, including children, can come and spend time, can feel safe, can access <coughs> basic rights, so access. We try and facilitate access to shelter when it's available, access to information on top of access to, to basic needs, so that's like material support including uh, clothes, hygiene items, tents and sleeping bags where no other shelter is available. So it's kind of holistic support and also acting as a first point of contact for women and families who arrive in the area, often with very little knowledge of what support is available, of what's there, of what where they might be able to go and what um, kind of decisions or what choices are available to them, even when limited. So we create, try to create kind of close connections with the women, facilitate access to basic rights and follow them as during their time spent in northern France and try to... I think it's too much to say try to make it better in such a like difficult setting, um, but at least try to stop it from getting worse for them. Are you guys able to tell me uh, a little bit about some of the particular challenges that may face women specifically uh, in this scenario? 
I think one thing I've noticed is that the women we interact with often have a much lower le level of English than the men, and that means that they can sometimes be dependent on male relatives or husbands in, in order to re interact with volunteers or to access services. Also, often it's there might be one phone between, like between a family, or it might just be the husband that has a phone, and that also something that makes the women a little bit more vulnerable or makes it harder for them to access help. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that as a as a dynamic that might exist in terms of access to phones and language. Um, yeah. Is there anything anything else that you particularly see as like a particular challenge for for women in this scenario? Well, there's obviously like a wide range of problems that are facing women specifically like domestic abuse sexual violence but many of them are not like what serena was saying are not agents in having got themselves here and there's not a lot of they don't have a lot of agency in what they're doing here because of the language barrier because of financial barriers because of educational barriers and so being able to connect with women and that is like specifically what we are doing here is really powerful and being able to build relationships is what I find the most rewarding part of the work that we're doing also most difficult yeah because you're all here sort of long term really aren't you because when you volunteer for help refugees you know, Maddie was saying you can come for a day for a weekend but the women's centre is particularly like long-term positions isn't it yeah yeah, yeah we take people for a minimum of two months but some people end up staying yeah I mean, up to years, which is it's really important. I mean, it limits the, the kind of people that we can take, obviously, because it's people who need to have time and some resource behind them to support themselves. But um, it means that we are able to build up a community between ourselves and the women we support and build strong relationships that then allow the women to kind of access services through us um, and to kind of build up a trust in, not authorities, because we're not authorities, but a trust in services when a lot of services throughout the migration journey have let them down and kind of discouraged them from interacting and i think that that like we've talked about this before but that development of trust is a really key thing in what we're doing in like building networks between women but also between women and services because we are in many ways an emergency like we do deal with emergency situations every day like shelter but through that very transactional relationship and being on the ground every day we are slowly developing relationships of trust with women that enables us to also provide casework support and more psychosocial support. So what is the what seems to be the situation for women in northern France? Are we finding that there's particularly um, women by themselves, women with families without um, male um, like adult males in the family? Or is it a mix of, are there sometimes adult males as well? Is it a mix of everything? Yeah, it's definitely a mix um, according to the different communities. So where we mainly work is in Dunkirk, uh, where the majority of women we support and the majority of the general population are Iraqi Kurdish. So I'd say about 90% of the women here are travelling with husbands and children. There is some women who are travelling on their own who have often fled honour-based violence in their home countries or split from partners whilst in Europe and so a, a kind of seeking further and seeking refuge in a country further away, in this case the UK, to try and escape from that. It's different in Calais where the majority of women are either Ethiopian or Eritrean and are almost all travelling by themselves, so again have fled often honour-based violence or uh, the risk of FGM, also indefinite military conscription, and have kind of come across, yeah, through North Africa, through Libya on their own. 
or Iranian women, and it's it's really a mix um, between some who've left on their own and travelled as single women, which obviously poses like extra risks. And then there's some families who arrived as well, but it really depends on the demographic. As I guess we see women from different countries leaving for different reasons and in different circumstances with different access to financial resources, which then obviously affects whether you're able to make a journey across Europe on your own or not. Yeah, for me, I would I would say to the best of my thoughts that even in the UK, the scenario is still different for women than it is for men. And so when you when you put that into the context of a huge journey um, traveling alone as well, that's, yeah, just, I mean, I'm kind of, myself I'm a little bit aware of the situation here but even hearing that is actually quite it's quite terrifying just to think about the scenario and the you know the dangers that people are going through um to get to this point so to have people like you who are here to talk to them is quite quite something and it's really remarkable to me how many different languages you have between you um like Serena you were speaking Farsi mm. the other day um there's Kurdish there's all sorts and yeah. All of our team have to pick up some, at least some Kurdish, Sarani Kurdish, quite fast because it's just essential in the work we do. And I think it's quite amazing how 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 much people learn and how fast people have to pick it up. Are the people you meet surprised by the the, the level of language that you have? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I find it always really surprising when you can meet a family and start chatting to them in Kurdish without them ever having known you or your service before. And like they often, I guess people don't question it because, I don't know, it's it's a lot of our volunteers have picked up quite quickly. But at the same time, I think it's also really, like even though if maybe in the moment it seems to kind of be normalised, it is a really nice way that people in our team and other volunteers and other associations have been able to, I guess, show a level of respect for different communities by picking up a bit of the language and showing an interest in where people are from and what makes a part of their kind of identity is really important and it's also something that a lot of people then take away like I don't think there's any courses that you find like it's like not very easy to find a course in Kurdish Sarani in most no cities. this is a place to learn so, <laughs> come to Tanker this is a place to come if you like a month <laughs> yeah it's amazing to me and I think I'm lucky enough to have been here a few times and to have experienced a bit of these different cultures but I think a lot of people in the UK will be thinking yeah at school I learned either French, German or Spanish and those were the options and Kurdish was never an option so to come here and to find all of these English people and French people speaking Kurdish is just to me is, is mind blowing I think you're all absolutely amazing um, what I wanted to do is yeah ask a little bit more the current situation. I remember I was hearing a statistic the other day that we've got something like 45 families at the moment just sleeping in tents, so there isn't enough accommodation, even with the accommodation centres that there are. So there, we still have families at the moment sleeping in tents. Is that is that correct? It's a bit difficult because at the moment the prefecture has actually opened emergency shelter due to Storm Kiara, but some families have chosen not to go to that shelter because their food isn't good or they don't like living in very like when I say shelter it's literally a gym with makeshift beds on it um and so it's pretty rough and so some families are still sleeping outside in abandoned buildings tonight about 10 families uh, with small children but up until three days ago all of the families which I'd say actually is more like 50 55 we're sleeping outside in 
very abandoned buildings which with rubble everywhere, rats, trash and in very, very poor conditions, which is terrible. And there is accommodation centres that are provided by the French state, but there's often not enough spaces for families that want to go to those accommodation centres. So they are essentially forced to stay in this camp. Just to, sorry, just to add a backdrop to that. Um, in previous winters, um, due to kind of consistent advocacy by organisations on the ground um, and a local mayor in Constant who was kind of openly pro-refugee welcome, there was emergency shelter opened by the by the local city hall made available for families and single men, which was not always sufficient, but it was like a really kind of good move in the right direction. This year is the first year where we haven't seen that happen. Um, there was a change in mayor during the, yeah, earlier in the year. And since then, there's been a lot of resistance to opening up shelter on the coastline. It's, yeah, it's kind of part of a policy of trying to discourage or supposedly discourage people from arriving on the coastline. And so it's, uh, yeah, up until uh, two days ago before this emergency, temporary shelter was opened because of the storm. It's the most families we've ever seen outside at this time of year, which is like quite a shock to all of us. Um, and also makes the work really difficult and that obviously kind of the fundamental part of the work like building community, building close relationships, creating safe spaces is next to impossible when you're working in like an old abandoned warehouse with like not even a parking space, let alone a living space or a community space. That's pretty horrific and it's really horrible to hear and I think also really good to be able to share that as well. When we're talking families with kids, we're talking full on babes in arms, infants sometimes as well. Um, And I think it surprises me in a way that we don't have any media coverage here because um, that's the kind of thing that our kind of slightly callous media will sell as a story quite happily and we still don't have any media coverage, uh, which is quite a stark thought for me. So how things, things... are pretty bleak um, let's face it and we can't really skirt around that um, and we're doing our best to sort of look after ourselves this evening and you know we're having an evening together where we get to sort of talk and share a drink and whatnot but on a day-to-day basis when you're faced with such a challenging situation how do you all kind of cope together what 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 kind of how do you sort of get through this situation yourselves well, we listen to a lot of music. <laughs> we listen to a lot of awful pop music in our van, very loud, and sing along. <laughs> we have a playlist of about ten songs. <laughs> but no, like, in all seriousness, these past few months have probably, like, some of the most intense experiences of my life in terms of, like, happiness, sadness, stress, relief, and, like, going to bed knowing how bad the conditions are, like, waking up in the morning... If it's raining or if there's frost, you don't really think like, oh, we've got to scrape the car. You think, oh, there's kids sleeping outside in a forest. And I think it is really difficult, especially here in northern France. And like where we work is quite close to a supermarket and you see, you know, families going around doing their shopping and you know that they have no idea that 200 metres away there's children sleeping in basic tents and like families going around their daily life in forests. Um, but the community that we have at the Women's Centre and the way that we live together, the way that we live together also with Maison Suzanne, that really helps you get through it all because you are all in the same boat together and everybody understands. And I think that 
the power of community in getting through this experience is it it's it's really strong yeah i think that's uh that's something i've talked about with a lot of people is the the other amazing people you meet around here and it's kind of terrifying that that you are kind of the prime service for women in the area mm. and that's a really hard burden for you as well mm. we're coming into contact with people that are vulnerable and could possibly have been exploited or suffered domestic violence and we are essentially a lot of us people who have come out of university not very long ago and don't actually have training in in these situations and it's just indicative of the failure of the state to to meet the needs of the people in the situation that that we're doing this work as amazing as some of us are (laughs) (laughs) it is it's it's essentially a bunch of people trying to do their best and that's that's i don't know if that is really the sufficient response to a systemic issue um, that goes way beyond people trying to do their best but is there anything you wish anything you wish you could tell people anything that would really help i think like um I guess every time I've kind of gone back to the UK and spoken to people about it, they seem to view the situation in northern France as quite like an isolated issue, you know, this this little like area of crisis, which especially from a UK perspective is often seen as, as kind of France's issue, whether it's like French police violence or French state failing to uphold people's rights, and it's something that's not necessarily collect, connected to wider issues. Um, and so I think, I mean, yeah, short of, you know, giving kind of time or resources to the situation I think trying to see it as part of a bigger a bigger issue I guess from the UK perspective it's definitely it's it's the UK border right so there's a huge UK responsibility from the government the way we view our border regime the way the way we view the immigration policy that it's as much about or more about exclusion and deterrence than integration or kind of processing like asylum processing policy um and so much of the situation in northern france is a direct result of the fact that the uk has basically exported its own hostile environment into the northern france by funding financially and politically supporting a harsh backlash by french institutions by removing access to protection at the border by denying like access to asylum at the border it's also like kind of reflects a super colonial relationship on the part of the UK that it's still providing this like development like almost development funding to France in in a way that tries to deter immigration to the area as much as possible and especially yeah in the work we do which is like of course focused on women um a lot of the issues that we come across with the women we work with aren't just just related to the fact that these are migrant women it's also related to kind of patriarchal structures in in you know, European countries that they travel through and home countries that they come from. And so everything that's led to the women being here or to, to people being here in general is often part of much kind of broader, I guess, global social issues that people should scrutinise and, and continue to be aware of and not just see it as a kind of pocketed issue that they can look at and think like, oh, what poor people. It's also like examining our own role and our own like institutions' roles in the creation of the situation. That's a pretty powerful summary. I guess, yeah, thinking about in terms of what people can do, I think continuing to follow the situation in northern France, um, follow as well, like if this is, if it's primarily UK-based listeners, follow changes in UK policy related to immigration. And there's actually a lot that you can do without having to 
come and volunteer even though obviously that's that's a great thing to do as well and is always needed there's a lot you can do in terms of advocacy from home and awareness being built up from home that is all part of resisting the regimes that create situations like northern france which are not not the only ones of their type there's obviously situations like this elsewhere in europe and it could be happening in the uk if the border regime was operated in a different way and if you're the people on the ground who are really confronting this situation uh, is there a really good way for people to kind of follow the work that you do and to, to learn from from what you're doing do you have social channels anything like that that people can learn from yeah i think the best way is probably either our facebook page which is the refugee women center or our instagram which alana is operating so can tell you more no we do try and keep people abreast of ground updates through our instagram and our facebook so please follow us. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you all for taking the time. It's been it's been a long evening in the end. And just thank you so much for sharing your thoughts because I think it's a really, really powerful thing that you're doing. And it's really important that I think other people find out about it as well. So uh, thank you all. Thank you, James. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.